0: Forward, Nishane Asmani, first published in 1892, is one of the smaller but equally important books by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, 1835-1908, to 1908, The Promised Messiah and Mahdi. It is a closely reasoned thesis primarily based on prophecies made by some early Muslim saints and seers about the coming of the Promised Messiah and the Mahdi, that all the events precedent to the coming happened as prophesied, and that they conclusively established the claim of the revered author to be the promised messiah and Mahdi is part of history. He has since been globally hailed and accepted by tens of millions of devoted followers, the Ahmadiyya Jamaat, known for their genuine commitment to religious values, devotion to the living God, service to mankind, piety and peaceful communication of the truth. The present imam and head of this deeply religious Jamaat is Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, the fifth elected and divinely sanctified successor of the promised Messiah. Nishane e asmani was translated into English by Mr. Muhammad Akram Gauri of Blessed Memory and revised by Ms. Shamim Akhtar USA and Mr. Iftikhar Ahmad Ayaz UK. Please remember them in your prayers as well as Mr. Raja Atal Manan, Mr. Tahir Mahmood Mubashar Mr. Zul Qarnain and Abdul Salam Anjum, who worked diligently at different levels to bring this book into final shape. All praise and gratitude is due to Allah for this complete and comprehensive book, which serves as God's final argument against the opponents, enhances the faith of the believers, and increases their knowledge. It is named, The Heavenly Sign, or The Testimony of the Recipients of Revelation. From Among the Writings of the Mahdi and Messiah of the Time and Mujaddid of the Age, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, Published in June 1892 at riyadh hind Press, Amritsar, under the supervision of Ghulam Muhammad, calligrapher. Footnote This is a heavenly sign. Produce its like if you can. Either bring out your Sufi to face me, or of doubting me repent. End footnote Public Announcement Whoever receives this book should know that it has been sent at cost. Please send through money order the sum of three anas being the price of the book plus half anna for postal charges, which adds up to three anas and six pice, so that it can be saved to bear the cost of the next book, dafi ul-Vasavis. Whoever desires to buy more copies should ask for them. Peace be on him who follows the guidance. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of qadian District Gurdaspur, the Punjab, 1st of June 1892 Bismillahir Rahmanir rahim In the name of Allah, Most Gracious, Ever Merciful I see the power of the Creator, and I see the plight of the age. I do not say all this by reading the stars, nay, I relate what God Almighty has told me. In Khurasan, Egypt, Syria, and Iraq, I see sedition and wars. Everyone is in a wretched state, even the highest and the best. I hear a strange story. I see grief and sorrow everywhere. Pillage, plunder, and massacre by numerous armies, I see left and right. I see many men of little importance masquerading as teachers and scholars. Religion and faith do I find weak and defenceless. Alas, I see this sad state is a source of pride and glory for the heretic. I see the compassionate friends of every nation, shamefully disgraced and deserted. I see that appointment and dismissal of public officers is frequent and of little importance. I see enmity and dispute between the Turk and the Tajik. I see hypocrisy, deceit, and guile everywhere, and among the high and the low. And shrines, the abode of peace, have become the place of rendezvous of mischief-mongers. If peace can be found anywhere, I see it only on the top of the mountains. Although I see all these tribulations, yet I do not despair, for I rejoice in having a sympathetic friend. After a year or so, I see a different picture of the world. I see a monarch who is the essence of wisdom, a stately and graceful leader. Analogies need to be interpreted, as I do not see these things while fully awake. Immediately after the passage of 1200 years, footnote, after the 12th century of the Hijra, end footnote, I see terrible things happening. On the mirror of the conscious of the world, I see dust and rust of sin. The tyranny of tyrants in all the countries I see immense and immeasurable. I see revolts, wars, disorder and injustice within the land and on its borders. I see that the slave has become like his master, and the master I see like a slave. I see that anyone who is befriended by adversity is under a heavy burden and embarrassed. I see that a new coin is struck whose value is less than it seems. I see the rulers of the Seven Kingdoms are at daggers drawn, each with the other. I see the face of the moon darkened and the heart of the sun I see wounded. Footnote, this points to the eclipse of the sun and the moon. End footnote. I see the trader helpless and forlorn in the middle of his journey, far away from his destination. I find India in a wretched state. I see the tyrannies of the Turks and the destruction. I see the trees in the orchard of the world are barren and without fruit. I find that unanimity, contentment and seclusion are the best recourse at this time. But do not grieve, for in the midst of these anxieties I envision the joy of meeting the sweetheart. When the unfruitful winter is over, footnote, the 13th century of the Hijra, end footnote. I envision the rising of the sun of a happy spring. When his tenure comes to its successful end, footnote, The Promised Messiah, salam, end footnote, I see that he will be succeeded by his illustrious son. I foresee that aristocrats and nobles will become his faithful disciples. I see that this exalted ruler will be the monarch of the seven continents. He resembles the Holy Prophet in his appearance and I find him to be of placid disposition and scholarly deportment. I see his hand shining like the white hand of Moses and in his hand I see the Zulfiqar. Footnote. The sword of Hazrat Ali. and I smell the fragrance of the garden of the law of Islam. I see the flower of the faith blooming and flourishing. Extended up to 40 years, O my brothers, I see the ministry of this champion. I see the sinners ashamed and out of continence before this immaculately innocent Imam. I see that he is the God-soldier, defender of friends and killer of the foe. He is compassionate and faithful like the friend of the cave. Footnote. Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him. End footnote. I see the beauty of Sharia enhanced in his time and Islam flourishing on a sound footing. I see the treasures of Cosros and wealth of Alexander all being dispersed from the cause of faith. I see him as the universally accepted leader, the whole world following him faithfully. I see the name of that illustrious personage written and I read Alif, Ha, Mim and Daal. Footnote. Arabic characters which make up the word Ahmad. With his advent I see that the faith the world shall prosper and mankind will float upon a wave of good fortune. I see that he is the Mahdi and the Messiah of the age and he is a champion in both capacities. I see the whole world has become like one big city and his justice is the fortress for one and all. This monarch of mine will have seven ministers, each will be an excellent administrator. In the hands of the cupbearer of Tawheed, I see a sweet and delicious wine. I see the rusted swords of the iron-hearted champions blunt and discredited. The wolf and the sheep and the lion and the deer, I see them all grazing in peace and without fear. I see that the wary and the vigilant Turk are slack and their enemy is inebriated. I see Nimadullah sitting smug in a corner, aloof and indifferent to everything. Here, Munshid Muhammad Jafar Sahib insists that the couplet, the Vigilant Turk, actually contains a prophecy that people would deny me. But as any sensible and fair-minded person who is disposed to thought and reflection can perceive, this couplet is found in the latter part of the poem and it is obvious from the sequence of the verses that first the promised Messiah was to appear, and then an event was to take place that would show that the vigilant Turk had slackened and his enemy was inebriated. It is obvious that no one besides me has claimed to be the promised Messiah in this age, therefore not even a simpleton can consider me to be the Turk. The correct interpretation of this couplet is that, after the advent of the Messiah, the Turkish Empire will become weak, and its enemy Russia will also not gain much from its victory. The stupor of victory will dissipate, giving way to a hangover. Moreover, the couplet the Mahdi and the Messiah of the age clearly indicates that this promised Mahdi will also be the promised Messiah, whereas Sayyid Ahmed Saab never claimed to be the promised Messiah. The Ahadith also bear out the fact that at the time of the promised Messiah, the Turkish Empire will grow weak, and people in some parts of Arabia will contrive to establish a new state and will be ready to break away from the Turkish Empire. So, these are the signs of the coming of the promised Messiah and the Mahdi. Let him who will reflect upon this. I am surprised at Muhammad Jafar Zaib, for he did not even ponder over the verse, I behold his successor his illustrious son. How can this prophecy be applied to Sayyid Saab? If he could come back to life today, 27th of January 1892, he would be 112 years old. Would he in such an old age get married and beget a son? It is also mentioned in a number of ahadiths that the promised Messiah shall marry and beget children. The revelation of Nima Saib Sahib is in accordance with these ahadiths. The words of ahadith about the promised messiah are يَتَزَوْوَجُوا wa yuladullah Footnote He shall marry and beget children. End footnote. Sayyid Sab never claimed to be the promised messiah. How can then he have fulfilled this prophecy? It must also be remembered that the word vigilant in the couplet the vigilant Turk has not been used to criticize and that the Persians use this word for eulogy and praise. The poet Hafiz has said the novice cannot dream of caressing the locks of the beloved only the vigilant can saunter under the chain of locks Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah wa salamu ala ibadihi astafa Footnote Praise be to Allah and peace be on his chosen servants End Footnote In these few pages are recorded the testimonies of some saints and majazib Footnote pious men who are lost in divine meditation end footnote, who had foretold about my advent long before me. Among these is the prophecy of a Majzub Shah who passed away from this transitory world thirty or so years ago. Although this prediction has been recorded on page 707 of izale it is now published again because the narrator has now related it with all the details and it is his desire that this prophecy should be published as a separate announcement. The narrator Mia Karim Bakhsh relates that the prophecy with such great conviction and firm faith that were a seeker of truth to listen to him attentively, it would definitely move his heart in a complete and astonishing way. Now, in May 1892, I asked Mia Karim Bakhsh to come to Ludhiana and kept interviewing him about this prophecy. I asked him to relate it on the oath at several gatherings. He was asked to swear that he would tell the truth and nothing but the truth, and that he would only relate what he could remember with perfect certainty and would not say anything that bore even a shadow of doubt or ambiguity. He was also told that if he told anything that was in the least dubious or contrary to the facts, he would be held accountable for it before God. In fact, to verify his truthfulness, he was solemnly told, You should give thorough consideration to this matter and understand that if you say even one word that is contrary to the fact, the sin would be on your head. And on the day of resurrection, you will be accursed and suffer ignominy like the calumniators." He was also repeatedly told, O Mia bachsh, you are an old man and you are said to have spent your whole life with fear of God and you have been regular in your prayers and fasting. Remember that if this prophecy of Golab Shah about my humble self that you narrate is dubious or untrue, then by relating it all your previous acts of piety would become annulled and void. Do not take offence, but you must clearly understand that you shall be cast into hell for telling such a lie. If you are not sure about the whole truth, then do not let your faith be ruined for my sake. I can be of no assistance to you, either in this world or in the next. Whosoever is held guilty before God shall have to enter hell, where he shall neither live nor die. Cursed is he who offends his creator by uttering falsehood. Most unfortunate is he who ruins all the pious acts of a lifetime by committing one crime. Remember, if someone forges a lie against God Almighty merely to please me or proclaims a false dream, vision, or a revelation in my eyes, he shall be worse than a dog and filthier than swine. I shall have nothing to do with him in this world or the next, because he will have displeased his beloved God by uttering falsehood for the sake of a despicable creature. If we become audacious liars and do not fear God for our calumnies, then dogs and swine are a thousand times better than us. Hence, if you have committed a sin, you must repent so that you may save yourself from complete perdition." You must understand that God shall never allow a liar to go unpunished, and as far as my mission is concerned, it is not dependent on the testimony of any human being. He who has sent me is with me, and I am with him. His refuge suffices me. He will never allow his servant to perish, nor let his messenger go to ruin. All this was repeatedly said to Mia Karim Bakhsh at several different gatherings, but, having listened to it all, he responded with such anguish in his heart that the audience were moved to tears. From every word that he spoke, it was evident that he was filled with the fear of God and was indeed telling the truth. He narrated the prophecy with tears running down his eyes and with such anguish that it made the listeners tremble. That day it had become absolutely certain that this prophecy had permeated his entire being and his faith had greatly benefited by it. Therefore I have set out the following announcement from him which he has dictated having sworn on the name of God Almighty. The fair-minded and discerning readers will have no difficulty in realising what a superb testimony this is. In addition to this, there is also another prophecy which a godly man named Nematullah, renowned in India as a saint and seer of true visions, has written in a poem. He passed away 749 years ago and this also is the time that has elapsed since the poem which contains the prophecy was written. When Malvi Muhammad Ismail Sahib Shaheed was trying desperately to have his mentor, Sayyid Ahmad Sahib, recognised as the Mehdi of the age, he got hold of this poem and did all he could to prove that this said prophecy applied Sayyid Sahib. He even published this poem in his book. However, in no way can the conditions and signs mentioned in the poem be applied to Sayyid Ahmad Sahib. It is true that he who will come to fulfil the prophecy has been named Ahmad. It is written that he will appear in India, and it is also mentioned that he will appear in the thirteenth century of the Hijra. A cursory glance can make one imagine that all the three conditions are fulfilled in Sayyid Ahmad Sahib. A little reflection, however, will show that this prophecy is not at all relevant to Sayyid Ahmad Sahib. It is clear from the verses that the promised Messiah will not appear in the beginning of the 13th century, rather, his advent will make it at the end of the century, after several great events, disasters and catastrophes. That is to say, he will appear at the turn of the 14th century. It is obvious that Sayyid Ahmad did not live to see even the middle of the 13th century. How then can he be called the Mujaddid of the 14th century? Moreover, Sayyid Sahib himself never made the claim which is ascribed to him, nor can any statement of his be presented which contains such a claim. Besides, in his poem, Shaykh Neemadullah Wali has said that he who has to come will also be called the Mahdi and Isa, Jesus. And it is well known that Sayyid Ahmad never claimed to be Isa. Furthermore, these verses also indicate that his son, who will have the characteristics of his father, will succeed him. It is also clear that Sayyid Ahmad Sahib never made a prophecy about such a perfect, righteous son, nor did he have any son who was imbued with the spirit of Isa. These verses also indicate that after being commissioned, the reformer will live for 40 years, while it is well known that Sayyid Sahib passed away from this transitory world just a few years after his advent. It is evident from Rahina Ahmadiyya that I was commissioned to revive the faith at the age of 40, about 11 years ago, according to the prophecy mentioned in izal <tomanien> <aw qareiba> min oham <thalik> Footnote. 80 years or thereabout. End footnote. It appears that the tenure of my mission will extend to 40 years, and it is Allah who knows best. The expectation that Sayyid Ahmad will return to this world is similar to the expectation regarding the coming of Elias and of Jesus. Many simple and ignorant people are wasting their lives holding fast to this belief. The truth of the matter is that it is God's practice that he sometimes gives the news of the coming of a deceased prophet through some saint or recipient of revelations. By this he only means to convey that another person possessing his disposition and characteristics will appear. For example, Malachi, one of the Israelite prophets, had foretold that Elias, who had been raised to heaven, would come back to this world, and that unless and until he came back, the Messiah would not appear. The Jews stuck to the literal meaning of this prophecy so tenaciously that when Jesus appeared they refused to accept him. Although Jesus repeatedly explained to them that the name Elias only referred to John, son of Zechariah, Also called Yahya, they continued to look towards the sky, expecting Elias to descend in person. Thus, because of their insistence on the literal meanings, they rejected two prophets, Jesus as well as John. They claimed that these were not true prophets, for had they been true, Elias would have descended from heaven before their very eyes, as God had foretold in the Holy Scriptures. Hence, the Jews are still expecting Elias to descend from heaven. These unfortunate people do not know that Elias has already descended from heaven, and so has the Messiah. Alas, how literal adherence to words of prophecies has harmed the world, and yet it does not realise its error. A sahih Hadith relates, O ye Muslims, in the latter days you will behave exactly like the Jews, and follow their footsteps in every way, to the extent that if a Jew had been guilty of adultery with his mother, you too will do the same. Read and reflect on this hadith, along with the case of Prophet Elias and in the issue of the coming of the Promised Messiah which has caused such an uproar in this age. Use your wisdom and reflect how the verdict of Jesus has completely demolished the prevalent belief of the Jewish ahl Sun Sunnah Jama'at regarding the coming of Elias. What became of their consensus? Think and try to understand. Did Elias descend from the heaven or was it John the son of Zechariah who was meant by Elias? Allah the Exalted has repeatedly said in the Holy Qur'an, O Muslims, do not tread the path of the Jews, and do not make the mistakes they made, nor hold their views, because of which they were called dogs and swine. A truly wise person is he who takes lessons from the fate of others, and avoids stepping where others have also stumbled. Alas, like the Jews, you are digging the same pits to destroy yourselves and your people. Just take the trouble of going to the Jewish scholars and ask them why the Jews did not accept Jesus and John. The answer you will receive will be that the signs of the appearance of the Messiah which are written in their scriptures and traditions are that Elias will descend from heaven first. That the Messiah will be a king and that he will be at the head of an army. Since Elias has not descended from heaven and kingship was not bestowed on the son of Mary, therefore he is not the true Messiah. Just reflect, how similar is the case of the promised Messiah to that of Elias? You must also bear in mind that a number of prophets appeared before Jesus, but none of them explained that Elias meant some other person. Up to the very time of Jesus, It was the unanimous belief of all the Jewish scholars and rabbis that Prophet Elias himself would come back to this world. It is strange indeed that even the recipients of Revelation were not told that this belief was utterly false. Their scriptures said in so many words that Prophet Elias would return to this world. At long last, God Almighty revealed that this secret to the Messiah that the Prophet Elias was not going to come in person, rather... His return to this world implied that the coming of someone like him, and that person, was none other than Prophet John. The fact of the matter is that prophecies contain many hidden meanings, which become manifest only at their appointed time, and even the great sages remain unaware of them. How truly has someone said, there is an appropriate time for every saying, and every enigma is solved at its appointed time how much knowledge there is which our forefathers left for posterity to acclaim. It is probable that Sayyid Ahmad or one of his righteous disciples received a revelation that Ahmad will come back to this world and they thought that Sayyid Ahmad himself would return to this world after a short absence. Examples of such misunderstandings are found among other peoples as well. People do not pay attention to Allah's practice and disregarding the meanings that are probable and in accordance with the ways of Allah, except those that are absurd and baseless. The second coming of the Sayyid Ahmad for which our Mawahid brethren are waiting so eagerly is actually a similar sort of mistake. Gentlemen, the Ahmad who was to come has come. You might as well say that Sayyid Ahmad has come back, for believers are like one being. Prophets appear in the persons of saints, In every age they manifest themselves in a different form. Alas, how people ignore the fact that every man must die and that God never suggests the return of a dead person in the physical sense. No righteous person is made to suffer death and its agony twice. The absurd thought that Jesus, son of Mary, is alive in the heaven has created much trouble and mischief in this world. In fact, this is the only basis for the Christians' claim about the Godhead of Jesus. This belief has gradually led them to think that God has now become idol and has regulated everything to his Son who is alive. This is the basic argument which the Christians have in support of the divinity of Jesus and in this our ulema are assisting them. The truth is that Jesus is dead. The Holy Quran affirms his death in the same words that are used for others deceased. In Sahih Bukhari, the Holy Prophet ﷺ has verified the death of Jesus, and according to Ibn Abbas, a great and eminent companion, the verse Tawaffah denotes the death of Jesus. Moreover, Tibrani and Hakim quote a saying of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, which has been related by Hazrat Aisha that Jesus lived to the age of 120 years. In the same hadith the Holy Prophet ﷺ says that his own age would be half that of Jesus. This obviously means that if Jesus has not yet passed away then our Holy Prophet ﷺ may still be alive as well. There is yet another point which one learns by pondering over the word of God. When love of Allah the exalted leads a man progressively towards truth and righteousness, he gives up his selfish and carnal desires. He reaches the ultimate stage of purification of his soul, this is when he comes out of the dark abyss of his ego and its passions, and his body, which is the throne of the soul, is fully cleansed of all carnal dust and smoke, and he becomes like a drop of crystal clear water. At this stage, in the sight of Allah, he is the pure soul that has emerged after the carnal self has melted away, and has, in complete obedience to his Lord, acquired a resemblance with the angels. It is at this stage that he deserves to be called Ruhullah, footnote, the Spirit of Allah, end footnote. Or, Kalimatullah, footnote, the Word of Allah, end footnote. This is also what we understand from the hadith, La Mahdi, Allah Isa, footnote. Mahdi is none other than Isa, end footnote. Quoted by Ibn Majah and Hakim that only he can attain the perfect status of Mehdi, who has first become Isa. This means that when a person becomes so perfect in devotion to Allah, that he becomes a pure soul, only then does he become Ruhullah in the sight of Allah, and is known in heaven by the name of Isa. God Almighty bestows upon him a spiritual birth, which is purely by His grace, and not through a corporeal father. To be so completely free from all kinds of darkness of the corporeal self, as to become sole incorporeal is the consummation of self-purification and self-annihilation for the sake of Allah. This is the state of isviyat, which Allah bestows to perfection upon whom He pleases, and the highest state of Dajjaliyat according to Akhalada ilal-Ard. Footnote. He inclined to the earth. Surah Al-Araf, chapter 7, verse 177. End footnote is that a person becomes progressively more and more inclined towards mundane desires till he falls into the abyss of darkness and becomes darkness itself. He acquires a natural amity with darkness and an innate antagonism to light. The existence of the Jaliyat as opposed to iswiyat is imperative because opposites can only be recognized by contrast. These opposites have existed since the time of our Holy Prophet He called Ibn Sayyid Dajjal and said to Hazrat Ali, you bear a resemblance to Isa. This was when the Seed of Isa and Dajjal was sown. With the passage of time, as the darkness of Dajjal grew, so did people with the true spirit of Isa continue to appear to oppose it. This went on until the perfect Dajjaliyet emerged in the last days because of the vice, sin, disbelief and transgression that prevailed all over the world like it had never done before. The Holy Prophet sallallahu sallam had prophesied that such conditions would prevail in the latter days. Hence, it was necessary that there should also be a full manifestation of Isviyyat to counter it. It must be remembered that the Jaliyat is a term that signifies all those evils, the prevalence of which in the latter days was foretold by the Holy Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Hazrat Muhammad sallallahu has mentioned several hundred of its ramifications or branches. The Molvis who prefer to follow the convention in total disregard of the Holy Qur'an, are also branches of the tree of the Jaliyat. They recite the Holy Qur'an but do not understand it. In short, today, the Jaliyat is spreading its numerous tentacles in all directions like a spider. The disbeliever with his disbelief, the hypocrite with his hypocrisy, the drunkard with his drunkenness, and the clerics with their habit of preaching without practicing and their malice are all spinning the net of the Jaliyat. This net can only be demolished with a heavenly weapon, and that weapon can be effectively used only by the Isa who is to descend from the same heaven. Isa has indeed descended, and God's promise was bound to be fulfilled. I will lay out the prophecies that I had promised to do. Keeping to the chronological order, I think it will be appropriate to first relate to the prophecy of nimatullah Wali, along with the prophecy of the Holy Prophet wasallam, and then the prophecy of Mia Gulab Shah as it was related by Mia Karim Baksh. nimatullah Wali lived in the suburbs of Delhi and is famous as one of the renowned saints of India. With reference to his diwan, 560 hijra is believed to be the time of his appearance. The date of the publication of the book which contains the prophecy is Muharram 25, 1868. Thus, 41 years have elapsed since these verses were published. These verses are included in the booklet Arba'in fi al mahdiyin published on the date already mentioned. And as I have already said, the objective of including these verses in the booklet was to try and establish Sayyid Ahmad Sahib as one of the Mahdi's. Undoubtedly, people have greatly erred in understanding the hadith that mention the prophecy of the Holy Prophet about the coming of a man named Mahdi. In general, it has been erroneously aimed that the word Mahdi invariably refers to Muhammad's son of Abdullah, who has been mentioned in some Ahadith, But a careful study reveals that the Holy Prophet wasallam has foretold the coming of several Mahdi's. One of them has been called sultan al Mashriq. Footnote, the Emperor of the East. End footnote. In hadiths. He has to appear in an eastern country like India, while the country of his origin must be Faras In fact, it is he concerning whom is written in a hadith that even if faith ascended to the Pallades, he would bring it back even from there. Yet another sign concerning him is that he will be a farmer. In short, it is a definite and proven fact that several Mahdi's are mentioned in the Sihar Footnote the six most authentic books of Ahadith. and footnote. And one of them will appear in the eastern countries. But some people have been confused by the amalgamation of these Ahadith. However, the point which deserves most attention is that the time of the advent of one Mahdi, as foretold by the Holy Prophet wasallam, is the same in which we live in, and he has called him the Mujaddid of the 14th century of Hijrah. As God willing, I shall later elaborate. Anyway, though it is definitely clear that a great Mujaddid will appear in India at the beginning of the 14th century, it is quite arbitrary to declare that this prediction applies to Sayyid Ahmed Sahib. Because as I have already pointed out, Sayyid Sahib did not even live to see the 14th century of Hijra. Now I will present some verses of Nima about the Mahdi of India with comments. The Verses I see the power of the Creator and I see the plight of the age. I do not say all this by reading the stars. Nay, I relate what God Almighty has told me. Meaning that whatever I write in these verses shall not be of some astrological divination, rather it is something of which God Almighty has apprised to me through revelation. Immediately after the passage of 1200 years, I see terrible things happening. Meaning that with the beginning of the 13th century Hijra, There will be a revolution in the world, and strange and amazing phenomena will be observed. And I see immediately after 1200 years of Hijra, strange events will begin to unfold. On the mirror of the conscious of the world, I see the dust and rust of sin. Meaning that in the 13th century, righteousness and piety will disappear from the world, and there will be a storm of mischief. The rust of sin and dust of malice will spread everywhere which means that hostility will become widespread, dissension will increase, and love and sympathy shall disappear, but we must not grieve on account of it. The tyranny of the tyrants in all the countries I see immense and immeasurable. In every country injustice will be at its height. Rulers will be unjust to the subject, one king will be unjust to another, one co-heir will be cruel and unjust to the other, and there will be precious few who will adhere to justice and equity. I see revolts, wars, disorder and injustice within the land and on its borders. In India and on its borders there will be great rebellions, wars and tyranny. I see that the slave has become like his master, and the master I see like a slave. Such revolutions will take place that the master will become a slave, and the slave will take the place of his master i.e. the rich will become poor, and the poor, rich. I see that a new coin is struck, whose value is less than it seems. This means that the old dynasty of India will decline, and there will be a new ruler of India and a new coin will be struck, which will have very little intrinsic value. And all these events will occur in succession in 13th century Hijra. I see that trees in the orchard of the world are barren and without fruit. This means that there will be famines, and the orchards will yield no fruit. But do not grieve, for in the midst of these anxieties I envision the joy of meeting the sweetheart. In this time of tribulation and anxiety which is the 13th century, you should not grieve, because amidst these tribulations I see the joy of meeting the beloved. This means that when the tribulations of the 13th century reach their climax, then at the end of the century the meeting with the beloved shall take place, i.e. God the Exalted will turn to us with mercy. When the unfruitful winter is over, I envision the rising of the sun of a happy spring. This means that when the winter of the 13th century is over, the sun of the spring will rise at the beginning of the 14th century. That is to say the Mujaddid, revivalist of the age, will appear. When his tenure comes to its successful end, I see that he will be succeeded by his illustrious son. This means that when his mission comes to its successful conclusion, his son, who will be his very image, will succeed him. That is, it is destined that God the Exalted will grant him a righteous son, who will be his exact image and follow in his footsteps and thus remind people of his father. This is, in fact, in accordance with the prophecy that I have made about a son of mine. I foresee that aristocrats and nobles will become his faithful disciples. It is also destined that kings and noblemen will ultimately become his humble followers and devotion for him will lead some of them to high fortune and sovereign power. This is, in keeping with the prophecy that was vouchsafed to me by God the Exalted, addressing me, he said, I will bestow such numerous bounties upon you that kings will seek blessings from your garments. On another occasion, he said, Grace shall be bestowed on your friends and those who love you. I smell the fragrance of the garden of the law of Islam, I see the flower of the faith blooming and flourishing. This means that he will revive the Sharia and faith will blossom and bear fruit. This is in accordance with the revelation mentioned on page 498 of Braheena Ahmadiyya. Which means that through me God shall cause Islam to prevail over every other religion. And again on page 491 of Raheem is recorded the revelation, God will not desert you until he has distinguished the good from the evil. Extending up to 40 years, O my brothers, I see the ministry of this champion. This means that he will live to 40 years from the day he becomes the recipient of revelation and proclaims to be the promised Imam. Now let it be clear that I was commanded through a specific revelation to call the people to Allah in the 40th year of my life, and I was given the glad tidings that I will live up to 80 years or thereabout. In view of this revelation, the tenure of my prophetic mission will extend to 40 years, out of which 10 full years have already passed. See page 238 of Barahina Ahmadiyya. And Allah has power over everything. Although like the call of Noah, the signs of this call to the truth are not yet evident, all will be fulfilled at its proper time. I see the sinners ashamed and out of countenance before this immaculately innocent Imam." This couplet clearly indicates that the Imam who will come at the beginning of the 14th century will have many opponents and insolent deniers who will be destined to suffer disgrace and humiliation. This is referred to in the revelation which was published in Asmani Fesla and which is as follows, I am the bestower of victory, I will give you victory, you will witness wonderful help, and your opponents will fall down in prostration, supplicating, O oh Lord, forgive us, we were indeed the miscreants. I see his hand shining like the white hand of Moses, and in his hand I see the Zulfiqar. Footnote. The sword of Hazrat Ali. and footnote. In respect of incontrovertible arguments, his adroit hand flashes like a sword. Then I see him with the Zulfiqar. There was a time when Hazrat Ali held the Zulfiqar in his hand, but Allah the Exalted will bestow Zulfiqar upon that Imam in such a manner that his luminous hand will accomplish that which in the past had been accomplished by Zulfiqar. Thus his hand will be as if it was the Zulfiqar of Ali that has reappeared. This is an indication that the said Imam would be the Sultan Al-Qalam. Footnote. Sultan Al-Qalam, the king of the pen. End footnote and his pen will serve as Zulfiqar. This prediction is an exact translation of the revelation vouchsafed to me which was published ten years ago in Braheena Ahmadiyya. It reads, Kitab al-Wali Zulfiqar ali which means that the book of the saint is the Zulfiqar of Ali. Here the reference is to myself, and on account of this in many visions I have been called a Ghazi. Footnote. God's warrior, end footnote. and there are allusions to this in Braheene Ahmadiyya and in other places. I see that he is God's soldier, defender of friends and killer of the foe, and he is compassionate and faithful like the friend of the cave. Footnote. Abu Bakr Siddiq, end footnote. He is the Ghazi appointed by God the Exalted, he is the rescuer and defender of friends and the annihilator of the foe. He resembles the Holy Prophet Wasallam in his appearance and I find him to be of placid disposition and scholarly deportment. This means that his inner and outer self is that of a Prophet and the majesty of Prophethood is evident in him. Knowledge and forbearance are his characteristic traits, that is to say, due to his obedience to the Holy Prophet Wasallam he has acquired, as it were, the very appearance and character of the Holy Prophet Wasallam. This is in keeping with the prophecy regarding me, which was published in Ibrahim I. Ahmadiyya. Jari Allah fi Hulalil Anbiya, which means the Messenger of Allah in the garb of the Prophets. I see the beauty of Sharia enhanced in his time and Islam flourishing on a sound footing. This means that his advent will bring back the glow to the Sharia and Islam will be rejuvenated the strong faith of Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will become stronger and more established. This is in accordance with the revelation concerning me which was published ten years ago in Brahina. Ahmadiyya. Footnote. Go forth gracefully as thy time has arrived and plant the feet of the followers of Muhammad sallallahu firmly on the tallest minaret. End footnote. As well as this revelation, <laughs> footnote He is the one who has sent down his messenger with the guidance and the true faith so that he may cause it to prevail over all the other religions. End footnote. See the footnote of page 239 of Raheem Ahmadiyya. I see the name of that illustrious personage written and I read Alif Ha, Mim and Dal Footnote. Letters of the Arabic alphabet which make up the name Ahmad. End footnote. Meaning that it has been disclosed to me in a vision that the name of the Imam will be Ahmad. I see that with his advent the faith and the world will prosper and mankind will float upon a wave of good fortune. With his coming Islam shall see better days and there shall be spiritual as well as temporal progress. This is an indication that God shall forgive all the sins of those who will join him wholeheartedly and shall make them firm and steadfast in their faith. It will be through them that Islam will make temporal progress for God will cause them to flourish and bless them and their progeny till they will become a highly venerated people. The following revelation in Ibrahim Ahmadiyya is in keeping with this prophecy. الَّذِينَ كَفِرُوا إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ Footnote. And I will place those who follow thee above those who deny thee until the day of resurrection. End footnote. The indication that with his advent, the spiritual as well as the material condition of Islam will improve actually means that the one who comes from God comes as a blessing for Islam and sooner or later the mercy of God descends with him. But in the beginning, famines and epidemics etc. also descend as a warning. The visions of seers tell about the final result rather than of the early condition. I see that this exalted ruler will be the monarch of all the seven continents. That is, in my vision I saw him as a king of noble descent and monarch of the world. This is in accordance with the prophecy mentioned in izaal Mulkul Azim." <laughs> the prophecy relates to me and it means... The presiderant of Allah, the monarch who will be given the great kingdom and the treasures of the earth, will be thrown open for him. Here, kingdom does not mean temporal kingdom, rather it means the spiritual kingdom. Footnote. It was prophesied in earlier scriptures that Jesus would appear as a king and would be accompanied by an army. But the Messiah actually appeared in the form of a poor and humble person, and the Jews denied him for the reason that these signs were not to be found in him in the literal sense. End footnote, I see that he is the Mahdi and the Messiah of the age and he is the champion in both capacities. This means that he shall be the Mahdi as well as Isa and shall be endowed with both attributes which will be manifested in him. This last couplet is a wonderful elucidation from which it can be clearly understood that by the command of God he will also claim to be Jesus. It is evident that during the last 1300 years, none other than myself has proclaimed to be the promised Isa. For the sake of brevity, I have given here these few couplets from a long poem of Neemah One should read the original verses for full satisfaction. Peace be on those who follow the guidance. The prophecy of our Lord and Master, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The hadith of the Holy Prophet ﷺ that Allah the Exalted shall raise in this ummah a mujaddid at the beginning of each century to revive its faith is generally recognized to be true and authentic. But the Holy Prophet ﷺ has given so many glad tidings as to the advent of the great Mahdi at the beginning of the 14th century that it is impossible for a seeker to deny them. It was also foretold that when he makes his appearance, the ulama shall pronounce him to be a disbeliever and might as well kill him. Hence, Mulbi Siddiq Hassan Sahib also admits on page 363 and 382 of Hujaj ul-Kirama that the ulama of the time who will be accustomed to following the jurists and the religious elders after hearing the teachings of the Mahdi will say that he is destroying Islam. They shall rise against him and shall charge him with infidelity and perdition according to their old practice. That is, they will call him an infidel, an errant, and dajjal, but they will also be fearful of the formidable sword. The ulama will be his most bitter enemies because with his advent their authority and leadership will decline. Were there no sword, they would have surely given an edict for his murder. Even if they accept him, they shall still harbour malice against him in their hearts. The elite shall not accept him as readily as the common people. The sages, who are the recipients of visions and revelations, shall pledge their allegiance to him. In this statement, Siddiq Hassan Sahib misunderstood the meaning of the word sword by saying that if there were no fear of the sword of the government, they would have murdered him. To ascribe the sword to Mahdi is to misconstrue the true intent of the Hadith. If the Mahdi had the sword in his hand, then how could these cowardly ulama, despicably avaricious for their pelf and pomp of this world, proclaim him to be an accursed and infidel and Dajjal? They would rather fawn upon the infidels and destroy their faith. How could this indignant group call a believer an infidel and Dajjal, having seen the fury of his glittering sword? Besides, Siddiq Hasan Sahib has made an unwarranted addition that the deniers of the promised Imam will be the Hanafites, the conformists, and not they, the Muwahids. The fact is that these Muwahids are the foremost denigrators, while the Muqallideen, Hanafites have simply followed suit. Again, Siddiq Hasan Sahib is highly mistaken in thinking that the promised Imam is Muhammad bin Abdullah Mehdi, because according to him, the promised Imam is a bloodthirsty Imam and a warrior. Besides, according to these ulama, a loud voice will be heard from the heaven in support of that promised imam and he will perform great miracles. Jesus will descend from the heaven and take the oath of allegiance at his hand and join his followers and he, the Mahdi, will have the sword to punish the disbelievers. If that were true, how would the ulama, be they Mawahid or muqallid, dare denounce him an errant, unbeliever, infidel and dajjal? Actually, this prophecy is about that humble Mehdi whose kingdom is not of this world and who has nothing to do with swords. If, as Siddiq Hassan Khan Sahib says, the bloodthirsty Imam will kill people for even trifling innovations, then how will the ulama escape punishment at his hands after calling him an infidel, dajjal and disbeliever? Do the ulama have courage enough to write an edict about a powerful king and call him kafir? disbeliever and Dajjal, especially when they see blood dripping from his sword. The fact is that Ahadis mention many kinds of Mahdi's and the Ulama have created a mess by amalgamating these Ahadis. Amalgamation of Ahadis coupled with lack of deliberation has made the matter obscure to them. Otherwise the Mahdi of the 14th century who is also called Sultan al-Mashriq footnote, the monarch of the east, end footnote has been distinctly mentioned in the Ahadith. His jihad is spiritual and he has been sent as Isa, Jesus, because domination of the Jaliyat. On page 387 of the Hujaj al-Qirama, there is a quotation of Hafiz ibn al-Qayyam from Manar, which says that there are four sayings concerning the Mahdi. One of these is that the Mahdi is ibn Maryam, son of Mary. My stand is that since it has been proved with decisive arguments that the Messiah Isa ibn Marim has died, the promised Messiah is his reflection and his specimen, and that he has been sent and given his name due to the prevalence of the Jaliyat. It should therefore be evident to everyone that he is the Mahdi as well as the Messiah of the time. When any noble and righteous person can be called Mahdi, why cannot he who through complete self-purification has attained the status of being a pure soul and has been given the name of Isa and Ruhullah be called Mahdi? I am extremely perplexed as to why these ulama are vexed by the word Isa. In Islamic literature, even detestable things are named Isa. For instance, in the book burhan e under the letter Ain, we read that Isa Dihkani is a metaphor for wine made from the grapes and Isa no maha is the bunch of grapes from which wine is made. Wine made from grapes is also called Isa no maha. Now it is outrageous that these ulama should name a wine Isa and not hesitate to mention this in their books, and consider it permissible that an abominable thing and a holy man should have the same appellation, while the person whom God Almighty by His grace and power names Isa as opposed to the prevalent the should be considered by them to be an infidel. The prophecy related by Mia Gulab Shah as related by Mia Karim Bakhsh under oath. Communication of a true testimony by Karim Bakhsh of Jamalpur for the information and benefit of all Muslims. Let it be clear to all Muslim brethren that it is solely out of compassion and goodwill which I have for them that I want to relate in full the testimony which I had mentioned earlier and which is printed on page 707 of Izada O uham in respect of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, so that people may be specifically informed and I may be acquitted of the responsibility of conveying the testimony. Before I relate the testimony, I call Allah the Almighty to be my witness that my statement is true and entirely free from every doubt and uncertainty. If in this statement which I am about to relate there should be any additions or omissions made by me, then may God punish me in this very world. I fully understand that if I say anything that is contrary to the facts and forge a lie against Allah, I will be counted among the chief inmates of hell and incur his curse and wrath, both in this world and the hereafter. The testimony I am now going to relate is well preserved in my memory, not so by my own effort, but with help from God, so that it may be conveyed at its proper time. I have been well aware from the beginning that I shall greatly displease my dear people by giving this testimony, and shall also get a liberal share of the edicts of disbelief that are going to be distributed by the ulama. I know that my brethren will boycott with me, and I will also become the butt of taunts and abuse and sneers. But I am also certain that if I conceal this evidence at this time of trial and tribulation, I will displease my God and will be guilty of a grave sin and will be thrown into the bottomless pit of a blazing fire. I have therefore weighed both kinds of loss and have come to the conclusion that the former outcome, that the notables among my brethren might desert me or the ulama might write edicts against me and declare me an infidel, is too trivial and unimportant. I am now an old man and my end is near. It would be most unfortunate of me if at this age I were to fear anyone but Allah. I am indeed terrified of committing what constitutes transgression and disbelief in the sight of Allah and I truly fear the fire of hell, which I cannot bear at all. Why should I then for the sake of this transient world and out of fear of the ulama and my community earn for myself shame and disgrace on the day of judgment? I pray to Allah the Exalted that I may die a believer. I will never tell a lie. If he is pleased with me, then every worldly disgrace is to me an honour and every suffering is a joy. I am not afraid of being separated from my brethren for the sake of Allah, for I am now in the latter part of my life. Death has separated me from many of my relatives, and very soon I too will leave this transitory world and bid farewell to my remaining loved ones. I shall deem myself very fortunate indeed if I am separated from them for the sake of Allah and in order to please them. O my brethren, believe me, if I did not have this testimony with me, and if about 31 years ago a godly saint had not dissolved the mystery concerning the promised Isa, Messiah, and told me who it would be, today I too, like my brethren, would be one of the bitterest opponents of Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Gadiyan. It would have been impossible for me to accept Mirza Sahib as the Messiah, and to renounce even on the pain of my deaths my old beliefs, which are, in my opinion, were shared by Ahli Sunnah wal Jamaat, all the pious predecessors, and were universally accepted by all the ulama. It was by the sheer mercy of God the Exalted that about thirty years ago a godly man, a wanderer of the desolate places, a majzoob, told me things that which have now become manifest signs for me. These prophecies have convinced me of the truth of Mirza Sahib so firmly that even if someone were to cut me to pieces, I would care the least for my life. Just as the day dawns and no one has any doubts about it, so did it become clear that Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian is undoubtedly the same promised Messiah whose advent had been foretold and whose name was Isa Jesus in the scriptures. My heart is full of the certainty that Prophet Jesus is dead and will never return. And the one whose advent was foretold by the Holy Prophet ﷺ is this very Imam who was born in this Ummah. Hence, I wanted to convey this truth to others as well and to help the ignorant ones take the right path. God is aware of what is in my heart and he knows that I am truthful. May God ruin me if I do not tell the truth. Brethren, fear God and do not reject your brother's evidence on account of the unwarranted suspicion because for all of us the day from which there is no escape is near. The testimony which I possess is that in my village, Jamalpur, in district Ludhiana, there lived a godly and holy man named Gulab Shah. I used to keep his company and derive spiritual benefit from him. Although I was born in a Muslim family and called myself a Muslim, I cannot help admitting that it was actually he who taught me the ways of Islam and put me onto the holy path of Tuhidh. That revered saint once said to me, Jesus has now come of age and he will come to Ludhiana and point out the errors in the Quran, and will make judgments according to the Quran. He then said, he will judge according to the Quran and the ulama will not accept him. Again he said the ulama will reject him vehemently. I said to him, the Quran is the holy word of God. Do you mean to say that it also contains errors?' He replied that commentaries have been written upon commentaries and free use of poetic language has led to misunderstandings. That is, facts have been concealed by excessive exaggeration as is done by poets. When Isa comes, he will point out all the errors and will give his ruling according to the Holy Qur'an. He again said, he will give his ruling according to the Holy Qur'an. I said to him that the ulama are the heirs to the Qur'an, why would they reject him? He answered that the ulama would strongly reject him. I repeated my question. Why would the ulama deny him when they are the heirs to the Qur'an? At this he became greatly annoyed and incensed and answered, You will see what the ulama will do. They will oppose him vehemently. Then I asked him, Isa has come of age, but where is he? He said, In qadian At this I said to him, qadian is but three leagues distance from ludhiana Surely there is no Isa there. To this he did not reply then, but at another occasion he did answer my question. I have not been able to relate it earlier because it happened such a long time ago. Now I can recall that in the end he told. Now I can recall that in the end he told me several times that Isa was in Qadian, which is near Batala. When he said to me that Isa was in Qadian and had come of age. I said, Isa, son of Maryam is in the heaven and that he is supposed to descend at the Kaaba. Who then is this Isa who you say is in Qadiyan and has attained manhood? To this he answered with great kindness and compassion and said, Isa, son of Maryam has died. He will never come back. I have thoroughly researched this matter. Isa, son of Maryam is dead and he will not come back. God has called me a king. I speak the truth, I never utter falsehood. Then, on his own accord, he repeated three times that the name of Isa who is to come is Ghulam Ahmad. Although I had witnessed a number of Gulab Shah's predictions to come true, in respect of this prophecy that the Isa awaited for was living in Qadian and that his name was Ghulam Ahmad, I remained a skeptic until I saw it all come true. Though I believe that he was a holy and godly man, I was by no means willing to accept this prophecy because I believed that it was contrary to the belief of the ahl Sunnah wal Jama'at. Therefore I reacted passionately when I first heard it, but later on because of the great regard I had for him, I stopped arguing with him though I still remained doubtful. This was because like other Muslims, I firmly believed that Isa had not died, that he was alive and would come down from heaven. Once he also told me that when Isa would visit Ludhiana there would be a severe famine. And I have witnessed this with my own eyes that when Mirza Sahib came to Ludiana, there was a severe famine. To cut a long story short, the news that this holy man had given to me about 30 or 31 years ago has now proved to be true and I have seen with my own eyes the fulfilment of what Gulab Shah has told me 31 years ago. In this connection I must also mention that I have repeatedly found him to be a holy man of extraordinary spiritual powers and miracles. Once he marked a certain spot, and I am myself witness to this, in the forest near Rampur, and said that a river would flow in that place. At that time there was no sign of a river there, so we did not believe him. But sometime later a canal was dug and it ran through that very spot for which he had marked. Once he saw some men who were sinking a well and it was almost complete. He said to them, you are wasting your time, this well shall never be completed. This seemed so illogical since the well was all but finished, but at that very instant the well collapsed and disappeared, leaving no trace. Once he told a man, Ali Baksh by name, who was sitting on the roof to leave that place and come over to the other side. But Ali Baksh was reluctant to do so. At last, Gulab Shah made him get up. No sooner had Ali Baksh left that place, the roof collapsed. Once he asked me whether my father had a broken tooth. I replied that he had. He said he has entered paradise. My father had died a long time ago before Gulabshah Shah had even come to our village, so he could not have known that my father had a broken tooth. He must have learned about this through a vision and he gave me the glad tidings that my father had entered paradise. It must also be mentioned that Gulab Shah was a man of God and a pious muwahid. Being in the state of spiritual ecstasy, a fountain of tawhid flowed from his lips. From him I learnt the ways of Islam and manners of practicing tawhid. I remembered Allah in the manner that he taught me till my heart underwent a metamorphosis and I began to relish my prayers. I was like the dead given a new life. I began to have true dreams and every dream I had would come true. I was also vouchsafed true revelation. All these blessings were due to his spiritual attention. He often used to say that every blessing lies in obedience to Allah and his holy Prophet ﷺ. The four schools of thought and the four religious orders that man have created should not be given any importance at all. In all circumstances, our goal should be the obedience of God and His Holy Prophet Whatever is not proved from the Qur'an or the Holy Prophet is not right, no matter who believes in it. Who believe that obedience to their respective imam takes precedence over obedience to the Holy Prophet are just like the student who insists that he will only obey his teacher and none else. Only those are truly on the right path who ponder over the Quran and the Ahadith of the Holy Prophet and search for the truth in the word of Allah and then act upon it. He also used to say that it does not behove the faithful to act against the commandments of God in order to adhere to the four schools of thought or to think and believe that the blessings of God are confined to these four religious orders only. Such wishful thinking is only motivated by the ego. The true faith is the one which was revealed through the Holy Qur'an and which the Holy Prophet Muhammad taught. Once I said to him, I would like to become your disciple, please permit me to bring you some sweets. He replied, Did the Holy Prophet Wasallam ever demand sweets from his companion? Every blessing is attained through love only. Many a time in a state of ecstatic rapture he would say, Moynaddeen Chisti and Qutbuddin Bakhtiyar Kaki were mendicants but I am a king. He had strong dislikes for the rich and loved the poor. He did not build a house for himself, he had a free nature and lived wherever he liked. He treated the sick and never asked anyone for anything. He was filled with the love of God. Of the blessings that were bestowed upon me because of his companionship, the one I consider the greatest, is that at this time, when great ulama have stumbled and gone astray, Allah the Gracious has saved me from stumbling with regard to the claim of Hazrat Mirza Sahib. But this steadfastness is not the result of my own spiritual power. It is due to the great influence of the prophecy that I had heard a long time ago. He had told me, you will see how the ulama will behave when Isa appears. In this statement he was also predicting that I would live a long life. It had meant that I would live for another 30 years and that he would not be alive at the time, but I would be. It is not possible for me to relate in detail all the true dreams I had because of this blessed companionship. I had relations of love, sincerity, sympathy with most ulama. Once he, Gulab Shah, said to me, Do you really know these ulama? After some time I saw some of the ulama in a dream. Their garments were extremely filthy and their bodies emaciated. They were in a wretched and degraded condition, and they were all from Ludiana. I knew them all and many of them are still alive. There were some ulama whose company he did not forbid. Instead, he encouraged me to keep their company. In my dreams, they have always appeared in a favourable condition. For instance, I often used to visit Maulvi Muhammad Shah, the revered father of Maulvi Muhammad Hassan, the great chief of ludhiana Once in a dream I saw him with a group of men. He was wearing a fine and elegant white dress, as were all the men who were sitting around him. It was then intimated to me that Maulvi Muhammad Shah is steadfast in matters of religion and Sharia. That is why he was shown to me wearing such a dress. Once in a dream I saw someone saying that 70 faiths had been bestowed upon me. When I related this dream to Maulvi Muhammad Shah Sahib, He said that faith is always single, but this indicates perfection of faith, and the number 70 denotes strong faith and a good end. So Allah be praised, for in this time of trial I have recognised the truth and he has saved me. I know well that all these blessings are the fruit of keeping company with the revered Gulab Shah. He often used to say that the least benefit one could gain from his company was sweetness and acceptance of prayer which means that such a person will never be deprived of faith. So God Almighty has protected me in times of mischief from stumbling and strengthened my faith in the truth of Mirza Sahib. Finally, let it be clear that although I have made this announcement on the oath of Allah, glory be to him, just as I related it in Izali Oham, a large number of people in these environs know my moral character very well. They know well that I have spent my life in piety and fear of God and that God Almighty has safeguarded me from sinful ways, falsehood and deceit. Hazrat Mawlvi Muhammad Hassan Sahib, who is the leader of the Mawahideen of Ludhiana and with whose family I have had relations of devotion and love since the time of his grandfather and I have also had the honour of belonging to the same race, knows me well. Despite our differences of opinion, he can swear upon the Qur'an that I... Karim Bakhsh have always led a pious life and am reputed to be a pious man. That falsehood or calumny, characteristics of the wicked and the licentious, have I never perpetrated. If my patron Maulvi Muhammad Shah were living, he would also have vouched for my piety and righteousness. Moreover, any reasonable person can see that I would have nothing to gain but the curse and wrath of the Creator and the people by uttering unwarranted falsehood and calumny regarding Mirza sahib. My connections with a distinguished Muslim family My connections with a distinguished Muslim family, the family of Molvi Muhammad Hassan sahib, a nobleman of Ludhiana, are very old. Considering that the said Molvi sahib was antagonistic towards Mirza sahib and many people had even began to dub Mirza sahib as kafir, what could I have possibly gained by accepting Mirza Sahib except to ruin my life here and in the hereafter and to part company with my brothers kith and Kin? That which has inclined me towards Mirza Sahib and has led me to offend my old benefactors and bear the censure and taunts of my brethren and the people at large is the truthfulness of Mirza Sahib which the prophecy of Golab Shah has made clear upon me. I insist that inquiry should be made about my character and conduct and Hazrat Mulvi Muhammad Hassan Sahib should be asked to testify it on oath. I know that he is a descendant of the righteous, noble, highly esteemed, learned and pious people. He knows me very well and I am very well aware of his ancestral civility and nobility of character and I have also known him since the time of his father. I have written down all this for the sake of Allah and because of the falsehood that is raging like wildfire. Even if one man takes to the right path because of my testimony, I shall, God willing, be rewarded for it. I have grown old and death is approaching fast. Maybe Allah the generous who appreciates the smallest act of goodness will also bless me for this one good deed of mine just as he blessed the one about whom he says in the Holy Qur'an, Mushahidah Shahidah Min Bani Israel Footnote And a witness from among the children of Israel bears witness. al Ahqaf, chapter 56, verse 10 End footnote Because he is the most gracious and ever merciful. I have now said what I wanted to say and here I end my announcement. Footnote it matters not if one is inclined to listen. The duty of the messengers is to convey the message. But footnote. Badalvi Sahib's criticism of my treatise Asmani Fesla, its refutation and substantiation with decisive heavenly signs. On pages 27, 50, 51 and 52 of his pamphlet, written in response to Asmani Faisla, Sheikh Bartalvi has tried his level best to convince the public that my request for a contest, which is in fact a test of faith, which I made to Mia Nazir Hussein of Delhi and his ilk, is unjust. But anyone who is fair-minded and well-informed can understand that, instead of exonerating himself and his Sheikh of Delhi, his writing has provided further proof that they have no intention whatsoever of turning to the truth. Or getting rid of their satanic suspicions. Everyone can learn by reading the Edict of Disbelief by the Sheikh that he and Nazar Hussein have issued this edict with absolute conviction and full faith and have persistently charged me with disbelief and heresy. They have dubbed me as Dajjal, the misled one and an infidel. In response to all of this I have explained time and again the purpose of my books and the fact that they do not contain a single sentence which implies heresy. I do not claim to be a prophet, nor do I say that I am not part of this Muslim Ummah, nor do I deny miracles, angels or al Qadr. I know with perfect certainty and it is my firm belief that our prophet is Khatam al-Anbiya. No prophet, new or old, will come after him and not an iota or title of the Qur'an will be abrogated. Yes, muhaddath will come who have conversed with Allah the Exalted and in whose persons certain characteristics of perfect prophethood are manifested. Indeed, in certain respects, they are the very grace and dignity of prophethood and I am one of them. But these religious clerics have failed to comprehend my reasoning. I am particularly sorry for Nazir Hussein, who in his old age has rendered to naught all his learning. When I realized that these people completely ignore the Qur'an and the Hadith and give contrary meanings to the word of God, I lost all hope in them and entreated Allah the Exalted for a divine decree. So in accordance with what God revealed to my heart, I proposed a way of reaching a decision. If these people had any desire for justice or truth, they would have accepted my proposal without hesitation. What an absurd demand it is that I should, of my own accord, change the period of one year, which is the period given in the Revelation, and reduce it to just one week, or a fortnight. They do not understand that this period has been fixed by God Almighty, and a mere mortal can never dare set a time limit for showing miracles on his own. Even the prophets never did so, and if they ever tried to fix dates on their own, they were censured. How therefore can one week substitute for one year? I wonder what has happened to their learning and righteous perception. Do they not understand that it is not for a man to fix time limits? If one of them has indeed received a revelation to show a sign in two weeks, then he should go ahead and do so. I shall accept his challenge, and if I fail to do the same in response, they will be declared truthful. But keep in mind they are just lying and babbling. The fact is that Allah the Exalted has hardened their hearts and put veils over their eyes. They can neither see nor understand. O you who are just and who judge fairly, think. Can a recipient of revelation say anything on his own? How then can I change the period which God Almighty has revealed to me? Indeed God may change it himself. For he has the authority to do so, while man has none, and no one can dictate to him. Footnote Seekers must be patient and resolute. End footnote If they really are true seekers and fear hell, then one year is not long. Moreover, one year does not mean one full year. Allah with his grace and compassion will decide the matter within this time. He has the power to show the sign even before the end of a fortnight. I wrote for a contest because Nazir Hussein and Badalwi, etc, openly wrote about me that I was a disbeliever, rejected, accursed, dajjal, and prevaricator, to the extent that anyone according to him who believes in me also becomes a disbeliever. In such a case, it was necessary to hold a test for the signs of faith. There is not the least doubt that God distinguishes the believers with special signs and through such heavenly signs they become completely distinct from others, be they infidels, hypocrites or transgressors. This is what I had called them to, so that it may be decided who in the eyes of Allah is a true believer and who deserves his wrath and chastisement. If these people were certain about their faith, they would not have shied away from this contest. But to date, none of them has dared to accept the challenge and finally they have offered this plea, You show us the sign and we will accept, provided manna descends from heaven or a lipa is cured, or a one-eyed person becomes two-eyed, or a piece of wood is turned into a serpent, or if I come out alive and unhurt from a blazing fire after jumping into it. See page 50 of Javab Fesla Asmani. The answer to all these absurdities is that Allah is indeed the Omnipotent and has power to do all this as well as show countless other signs. But he acts according to his own will and wisdom. The previous disbelievers had made a similar demand. Footnote. Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, verse 6. End footnote. That is, if he... The Holy Prophet is a true prophet, then he must show signs like those of Moses and the other Israelite prophets. The idolaters even demanded that he should raise their dead to life or ascend to the heavens right before their eyes and bring a book that they might hold it in their hands and look at it, so on and so forth. However, God Almighty did not submit to their will like a subordinate and he showed only those signs which he intended to. Sometimes those who demanded signs were told, Is not the Holy Qur'an big enough a sign for you? This was a very wise answer because every sensible person can understand that signs are of two kinds. Firstly, the signs which are difficult, nay impossible, to differentiate from deceit, trickery or sleight of hand, etc. The other kind are those that are totally different from such falsifications and have no semblance to deceit trick, sleight of hand or chicanery. The Holy Quran is a miracle of second kind. It is a resplendent sign which in every way and from every angle shines like a glittering gem. Turning a stick into a snake is not a distinguishing sign. Moses made a snake, so did the magicians, and it is even done today. But the difference between a snake which is the result of a magic trick and the snake that is the product of a miracle remains unclear. Similarly, most of the people who practice amal uterb are skilled in curing diseases, irrespective of whether they are Christians, Jews, Muslims or atheists. And if Allah wills, they are sometimes able to cure chronic diseases like leprosy. Hence, curing the diseases is not a reliable criterion unless it is accompanied by a prophecy. Similarly, nowadays such entertainers jump into a blazing fire and come out unharmed. But what do such tricks prove? Maybe you have never watched the manna and quails show in which for the charge of one pesa they can rain raisins. Were you to watch the European conjurers who, using a secret trick, sever the head from the body and then replace it? Perhaps you will become their disciple. I remember that once in the city of Jalandr, when a conjurer, Mihitab Ali by name, who later repented and joined my Jamaat, performed a trick at a gathering in my house, an old man like you exclaimed, this is a miracle. Gentlemen, performance of such feats cannot disclose the truth. On the contrary, in this age it makes the matter all the more dubious. There is no scarcity of such entertainers and magicians whom you would consider miracle makers, were you to watch their shows. But a sensible person who knows all about these tricks can never call them miracles. For instance, if a man were to conceal a piece of paper under his armpit and then bring it out as a pigeon, a man like you may call him a man of miracles. But a sensible man who is aware of the tricks of such people will never call it a miracle. He will call it a trick or sleight of hand. This is why, according to the Holy Quran and the Torah, playing tricks with fire or turning wood into snakes or sleight of similar kind are not the signs of true prophets. Rather, it is the fulfilment of prophecies made by him and prophecies which testify to his truth that is the criterion. If along with accepting the prayers of a person according to his own desire, God also reveals a hidden matter to him, which turns out to be true, this would serve as an undeniable proof that such a person is truly from God. To say that astrologers and fortune tellers are their equals in this respect is wholly perfidious and the contrary to the teaching of the Quran, because Allah the Exalted says, Footnote God the Exalted does not reveal his secrets to anyone except to those whom he sends for the guidance for mankind. Al Jinn, Chapter 72. Verse 27-28 to 28. End footnote Since Allah has declared the knowledge of secret matters as a special sign of His messengers, as in another place also He says, وَإِيُّكَ سَادِقًا Sibukum بَعَدُ اللَّذِي يَعِدُكُمْ Footnote If this messenger is truthful, then some of his prophecies concerning you will surely befall you. That is, the fulfillment of prophecies is a sign of truthfulness. Chapter 40 Verse 27 End footnote. Therefore, only these Maulvis who have ceased to deliberate on the Holy Quran and are ignorant of the trends of the age can be contemptuous of prophecy and demand instead that wood be turned into snake. Anyhow, as I have requested in Asmani Faisla for a contest to show signs of faith, Mia Nazir Hussain and Batalvi Sahib have no right to withdraw from the contest and request me in particular to show a sign until, in accordance with my writing, they first publish a confession. They should admit that they are Muslims only in name, and do not possess the light and the signs of faith, and should then request me to show a sign unilaterally. Because in order to break their pride this is the condition I have laid down in Asmani Faisla for showing unilateral signs, Besides, everyone knows that they claim to be perfect believers, the leaders of their people and recipients of revelation, and they believe that I am devoid of faith and ill-fated. Now, is there any other way of deciding the issue except through contest? If they would indeed retract the claim of their excellence in faith, the burden of proof shall lie on me. Mia Nazir Hussein and Batalbi Sahib should also explain why In spite of their claim to be the perfect believers and chiefs of holy men, should they be reluctant to enter into a competition with a man whom they believe to be a kafir? Nay, worse than a kafir. On what basis do they demand a one-sided sign from me? If this demand is in response to Asmani Faisla, then their request should be exactly as stipulated in that booklet. That is, if they claim to be believers, they should join the contest a precondition laid down in Asmani Faisla. Otherwise, they should frankly admit that they are devoid of true faith and request for a unilateral sign. In the end, I would like to make it clear that both these prophecies of Mia Gulab Shah and Nimatullah Vali concerning me are in accordance with the teachings of the Holy Quran, manifest signs that have no possibility slight of hand, trick or deceit, Now if there is indeed a Sufi who lives in seclusion and does not want to come out of it, but as claimed as Badalvi Sahib and Mir Abbas Ludhiyanawi is ready to compete with me and show a sign, he should also present two such prophecies of some saint of the past about himself, along with similar proofs. I swear by Allah the Exalted that in case it is proved that signs in those predictions and evidence pre-offered are similar in grandeur, and have been fulfilled exactly as foretold after a long passage of time, I am ready to be punished by death. This humble one has made about 3,000 prophecies in the past, most of which were vouchsafed to me in response to my prayers. Among them is one concerning Dilip Singh. I had predicted that he would fail in his attempt to return to the Punjab. This prediction was published in outline in a poster and also verbally related to hundreds of men, so was the prediction about the death of Bandit Dayanand and about Rais Sheikh Mer Ali Sahib that he will be afflicted for with grave trial but will be safely delivered from it. Footnote: Sheikh Mer Ali Sahib should be asked to testify to the truth of this prophecy, taking oath on the Holy Quran. Because a time-server, or one afraid of Molvis may deny it, but would never do it upon oath. Otherwise he will soon be disgraced for taking a false oath. End footnote. And I had also foretold that Sheikh Badalvi would also become my adversary, etc. But to go into details would be too lengthy. If the Morvies of the opponent party have even an iota of faith, they should hold a public meeting at which they should first demand evidence from me about these prophecies. Then they should relate their own prophecies and provide evidence of the same. But if they are incapable of competing in either way, they have the option to avail of one year's respite. There is no need to create an uproar. They should simply announce the prophecy that is granted to them in response to their supplications in some newspaper, giving a time limit for its fulfilment, and I will do likewise. At the end of the year it will become clear who enjoys the succour of God and who is the reprobate, rejected and cursed by God. If they don't do even this much then everyone should understand that these mullahs intend only to conceal the truth and to promote bigotry and prejudice. They do not at all seek the truth. If they had any wisdom at all, they would have recognized a great sign in fact that they are doing their utmost to extinguish this light of Allah. They resort to all sorts of tricks to mislead the people and leave no stone unturned in trying to wipe out the truth. They issue edicts of disbelief against me and contrive to cause harm to me. And Batalwi Sahib has even incited people to protest against me before this government. In short, they have resorted to every kind of falsehood and deceit and have gathered a crowd of people around them. However, as I had informed Batalwi Sahib about this revelation long before these things happened, that I am alone and God is with me, this is exactly what is happening now. People have become so hostile that they have broken off all relations with me. Would it not be a great sign if, in spite of all of these intrigues which have reached the boiling point, I should end up victorious? Anyone who has eyes can see that all the favours which Allah the Almighty is showering upon me are signs. Pay heed to me. God Almighty has declared in the Holy Quran that there is none more unjust than he who forges a lie against him. Footnote al saff chapter 61, verse 8, End footnote. He never fails to punish the impostor and gives him no respite. But now, by the grace of God, this is the eleventh year since I proclaim to be the Mujaddid, the like of the Messiah, and recipient of divine revelations. Is this not a sign? If I were not from him, how could I have survived a full decade, which is a considerable period of a man's life. I ask again, is it not a sign that no one has come forward to engage in a contest against me in announcing divine prophecies? Were anyone to dare it, God will humiliate him terribly. Similarly, Allah's support for me is manifest in hundreds of ways. I am the garden of the Holy One. Whosoever designs to cut me down will himself be cut down. The opponent shall be disgraced, and the one who denies me shall be sorry and remorseful. All these signs are for those who can recognize them. Footnote. O you who are so badly inflicted with distrust, and are bent upon reviling, I am anxious to tug out the Muslims, and it is strange indeed that you call me a disbeliever. End footnote. The Spiritual Message Lahmul Bushra fil Hayatid Dunya. Footnote. For them is glad tidings in this life. End footnote. Footnote. Man himself becomes indolent in the search of truth, otherwise, God himself guides the seeker to the truth. End footnote. The Holy Quran, as well as the Ahadith of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu Verify that a true believer has dreams that are true and bear glad tidings for him. And sometimes even other people have such dreams about him, more especially when he is called the rejected, the disgraced, the accursed and the reprobate, nay, the worst infidel and the worst of all creatures. Who knows what gracious and loving converse takes place between him and Allah at these moments of frustration and disappointment. Footnote The graciousness of the Creator that is most dear to His saints lies hidden under the curses of man. End footnote. I am unable to offer gratitude enough for the gracious favours that Allah the Exalted has bestowed upon me. At this time when I am being charged with disbelief by the ulama and from all sides, I hear the voice. Lasta mu'mina. Footnote. You are not a believer. End footnote. While Allah glory be to Him tells me, قُل إِنِّي أُمِرْتُ Footnote: Say, I have been commanded, and I am the foremost among the believers. End footnote. On the one side, these Morleys are saying, extirpate this man anyhow, and on the other comes the revelation, يَتَرَبَّصُونَ عَلَيْكَ الدَّوَائِرَ عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةَ الصوء. Footnote. They await your being afflicted with misfortune, on them will be the evil affliction. End footnote. And on their side they are trying to disgrace and humiliate me and on the other side God promises Arada Ehanatak, Allahu ajruk, Allahu Footnote I shall humiliate him who intends to humiliate you. Allah is your reward, Allah will bestow honour and glory on thee. End footnote. On their side, the Malvis are issuing edict after edict that anyone who holds my beliefs and follows me becomes a disbeliever. And on his side, Allah the Exalted continues to emphasize Qul in allaha, Allah. Footnote Say, if you love Allah, follow me. God will then love you. End footnote In short, all these Malvis are fighting against Allah. Let us see who comes out victorious. Lastly, I would like to make clear the purpose of this writing. A number of people from the Punjab and other parts of India have written to me about their dreams in which they have seen the Holy Prophet Wasallam and have had revelations concerning me. The purport of letters is nearly the same, that they have seen the Holy Prophet in their dream, or they have been apprised about me through a revelation from Allah the Exalted that this man, my humble self, is from Allah and that they should accept him. Some have related that they saw the Holy Prophet looking furious. It seemed that he was sitting outside his holy tomb and was saying, the wrath of Allah shall soon befall all those people who are intentionally persecuting this man, that is, my humble self. At first I did not pay much attention to these dreams but now I realize that this has become more and more frequent. Thus, some people just on the basis of their dreams have given up their hostility and malice and joined the group of my sincerest devotees and are also rendering monetary assistance out of their wealth. This reminded me of a revelation that was vouchsafed to me about 10 years ago and which is mentioned on page 241 of Brahine Ahmadiyya يَنْصُرِكَ رَجَالُ نُوحِ Alehim that is, men whom we shall direct through revelation will assist you. That time has come therefore in my opinion. It is expedient that when a considerable number of such dreams and revelation have been collected, they should be compiled and published as a separate booklet. This too is a testimony of heaven and a gracious bounty from Allah. And his command in this respect is, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ Rabbika Footnote. And keep proclaiming the bounty of thy Lord. Chapter 93, verse 12. End footnote. However, it is necessary to first make this announcement for the information of all. Henceforth it shall be incumbent upon everyone who has a dream or a vision about me, or receives a revelation about me and wants to write it to me, that he should do so taking an oath in the name of Allah the Exalted. They should declare under oath that they have actually had such a dream and that if they had added to it anything of their own, the curse of Allah will be on them in this world and in the next. Those who have already written their dreams on oath need not to write again. But those who wrote to me about their revelations and dreams but their statements were not made under an oath should send them again authenticated with an oath. Remember, no dream, vision or revelation that is not related on oath will be published, and the oath should be of the kind described above. Here I would also like to preach and urge those seekers of the truth who fear divine punishment not to follow the mulvis of this age without taking proper inquiries. They should beware of them as the Holy Prophet Wasallam has himself warned against these mulvis of the latter days and they should not be bewildered by their edicts as this is nothing new. If they have any doubt about my humble person or if they genuinely doubt the validity of my claim, then let me show them an easy way of resolving the matter which, if Allah so wills, can satisfy a seeker after truth. First of all, after sincere repentance, the seeker should offer two rak'at of prayer at night. He should recite Surah Yasin in the first rakat, and in the second, after reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas 21 times, recite Durud. Footnote Invocation of Peace and Blessings of Allah on the Holy Prophet End Footnote And Istighfar, Footnote Prayer Begging Forgiveness for One's Sins, End Footnote 300 Times He should then pray to Allah in these words O Allah the Omnipotent and the Ever-Merciful You are aware of the unseen and we are not The favoured and the rejected and the false and the truthful cannot hide themselves from thy sight we therefore most humbly pray to thee to disclose to us the true status of this man who claims to be the promised Messiah and the Mahdi and the mujaddid of the present age. Is he true or false? Is he the favoured one or is he rejected and forsaken by thee? Out of thy grace disclose to us the truth about him either through a revelation, a vision or a dream, so that if he is the rejected one we may not go astray by accepting him. And if he is from thee, we may not be ruined by denying and affronting him. Save us from every kind of trial, for thou alone hast every power. Amin. Perform this istikhara. Footnote. Prayer beseeching guidance and direction from Allah. End footnote. For at least two weeks, but with an absolutely free mind, because when a man who is full of spite and malice and is overpowered by mistrust, seeks information through a dream about a man he thinks very ill of, then Satan appears and according to the darkness of his heart puts misleading and dark thoughts into his mind. Hence his condition becomes worse than before. Therefore, if you want to receive information from Allah the Exalted, then you should wash your heart absolutely clean from malice and animosity. You should free yourself from all inclinations of the self and divesting yourself of the bias of love as well as animosity. Beg for his light and guidance. He shall, in keeping with his promise, send a light that will be free from the smoke and dust of human misgivings. Therefore, O ye seekers of truth, do not be tempted and misled by what these Malvis say. Rise and seek help from the Omnipotent, the Almighty, the All-Knowing and the Absolute Guide, and hearken. I have now conveyed to you the spiritual message also. The choice is now yours. Peace be on him who follows the guidance. Ghulam Ahmed The Truth About Sheikh Batalvi's Edict of Disbelief I have read this edict from end to end. If Allah so wills, a treatise of mine named Dafiy al-Vasavis exposing how wrong and contrary to the facts are the allegations this edict is based on is going to be published very soon. Still, I do not in the least grieve at their taunts and curses, nor do I have any fear. On the contrary, I am glad that by calling me the infidel, the rejected, the accursed, the Dajjal, the prevaricator, the unbeliever, the damned, nay, the arch-infidel, Mia Nazir Hussain, Sheikh Batalvi and their followers have been able to give vent to their inner feelings. This would have been impossible had they shown due regard to honesty, integrity and piety. Also, they had no other way of getting over their great grief at the successive wounds which they received at the hands of my incontrovertible arguments and acrimonious veracity, other than to resort to abuse. I feel glad when I reflect that according to history of the people of the book and the four gospels, The gift that the Jewish jurists and the scholars had ultimately presented to the Messiah was similar curses and ridicule. Therefore, being the like of Jesus, I should be very happy to hear these curses. As Allah the Exalted has bestowed upon me the essence of messianic attributes of Isa to destroy and annihilate the very essence of the Dajjaliyat, so he has also destined that I should have a share of the humiliations and afflictions that are part and parcel of the Messiah. The only grief that I have is that in preparing this edict, Sheikh Badalvi had to be more dishonest than the Jewish scribes. This dishonesty and fraud is of three kinds. First, some people who were not qualified to give verdicts as religious scholars were declared to be such in order to swell the number of the ulama charging me with disbelief. Second, Seals of certain people who have no learning and are openly involved in immoral and even nefarious activities were affixed to the verdict, and they were deemed to be great scholars and abstemious followers of the law. Third, Batalvi Sahib cleverly, fraudulently and of his own accord added to the list of names of some learned and honest persons who had not actually put their seal on the verdict. I have documentary proof of these three kinds of people, Batalvi sahib or anyone who doubts it should arrange a public gathering in Lahore at which they should demand proof from me. Footnote, so that the liar may be disgraced. End footnote. Charging someone with disbelief is nothing new. It is a tradition these Maulvis have inherited from their ancestors. Whenever they hear something fine and subtle, they instantaneously get beside themselves and since God the Exalted has not endowed them with wisdom to fathom the depth of the matter, or understand the true nature of abstruse mysteries, they hasten to pass verdicts of disbelief out of stupidity. Not a single revered saint have they spared, and yet they themselves say that when the Mahdi will come, the Malwis will declare him to be an infidel, and so will they do to Jesus when he descends from heaven. In response to all this, I say, well gentlemen, I seek refuge with Allah from all of you. The Holy One himself has been protecting his saints from your mischief. Otherwise you would have devoured all the saints of the Ummah of the Holy Prophet Muhammad like witches. Your foul language was directed against all the saints of the former as well as the latter times. You are yourselves fulfilling the very signs that you relate. It is strange indeed that they, the ulama, have no gracious presumptions about each other either. Only a short time ago, 300 had affixed their seal on an edict published in Madarul Haq, declaring that the Muwahids were irreligious. When such denouncements are so common and cheap, why should one fear them? But it is regrettable that Maulvi Nazir Hussain and Sheikh Patalvi have employed a great deal of forgery in their edict and ruined their hereafter with all sorts of calumny. In this short booklet, I cannot go into the details of the dishonesty which Sheikh Batalvi has employed with the consent of Sheikh Dilvi in his Edict of Disbelief and has thus spoiled his record book of good deeds. As an example, I quote here a letter by Maulvi Sahib and the verses that he has composed. He writes, To the blessing of the Almighty, the Reformer, the Messiah and the Mahdi of the age, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, May his blessing perpetuate. After due Islamic salutation, I respectfully wish to submit that after the departure of your grace from Bati the residents of the town harassed me so much that they even debarred me from offering prayers in the mosque. So I gave a written statement to some of my friends to the effect that I hold the same beliefs as the ahl al, Sunnah wal Jama'at, that I consider the denial of Khatm al-Nabu'at, the existence of angels, miracles of Prophets and Laylatul Qadr to amount to atheism and disbelief. Muhammad Hussein, the managing editor of Ishati Sunnah, has incorporated this same writing in the Kufr Nama that he had prepared about you. When I learnt about this I wrote to Maulvi Muhammad Hussein Sahib that my statement should be expunged from the verdict because I believe that whosoever accuses Hazrat Mirza Sahib of being a disbeliever is himself a disbeliever and an atheist. Mulvi Sahib has not replied to this letter. Later on I learnt that he has included my name in the list of those who endorsed the verdict and published it. This is the truth about my verdict. I, a most unworthy person, have taken the oath of allegiance as at your blessed hand. For God's sake, I beg you, do not consider me as one outside the pale of your Jamaat. I repent of this sin of which I am innocent and turn to Allah. Exalted for his mercy. I apologize to you and beg your pardon. I am also writing below a few verses that I have written about you out of my fervent devotion and love. And I request that my statement and the verses may be printed and published. The following are the verses O mine of munificence, it is a blasphemy to declare you a disbeliever. And these seals and verdicts are the highwaymen sitting on the path of generosity. Oh, how I long to sacrifice my life and wealth for your sake. I solicit the Omnipotent to make it possible for me to fulfil this desire. I turn away from you? God forbid. I adore your face, O leader and defender of the faith. Faith that was dead has regained vitality and strength with your advent. How could I possibly turn away from your holy discourse, O my revered sir? There is no affinity between me and faithlessness and straying. As long as I live, I shall be in thy service, and I shall be most obedient and sincere of your servants. These ogres on the path of truth attacked me repeatedly. They would have robbed me had not God's munificence guided me. These people of Jewish character do not know your worth. Therefore I hear them reproach you as was the prophet of Nazareth. Anyone who calls you a disbeliever, that very instant becomes a disbeliever himself. May Allah the Exalted protect me from such a dastardly band. O Resplendent Son, be merciful to me, the Blind One, and connive at whatever faults you perceive in me, as I am truly and sincerely penitent. As long as blood runs through my veins, I shall remain your slave from the core of my heart. Be gracious to me as I am standing at your door with all due humility. With your arrival the moonlight of the faith of Ahmad has become fully bright. O full moon, you have appeared on the 14th night. Footnote, 14th century of the Hijrah. End footnote. You have appeared exactly on time according to the glad tidings of the Holy Prophet wasallam. Peace be on you, O mercy of the glorious God, O my great chief. All the problems of the true faith have you solved, and you are reviving the faith by the grace of the gracious God. As a favour, you have converted my heart and my soul to Islam. I would be faithless indeed if I do not sacrifice myself at your threshold. The Humble One, Molvi Hafiz Azim Bakhsh of Patiala, May 24, 1892. P.S. If space could be spared in your booklet, may I request that the following announcement from my respected, kind teacher also be published. Announcement The edict that Maulvi Muhammad Hossein Batalvi has published in his magazine Isha'at al-Sunnah about our Imam and our Master, our Messiah and the Messiah of the world, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, also bears the name of Maulvi Muhammad Abdullah of Batiyala among its signatories. Some friends mistakenly believe it to be myself and have sent letters to me in this regard. The editor of Isha'at sunnah has further confused the people by adding this note against this name. This Mulvi Sahib also was previously a disciple of Mirza Sahib. I would like to inform one and all that Molvi Abdullah of Patiala is some other person who never was nor is a disciple of Mirza Sahib. As far as this humble one is concerned, he is still the humble follower of the one who pines for his people and languishes for the faith of Islam. The humble announcer, Muhammad Abdullah Khan, teacher of Arabic, Mohinda College, Patiala, Zul Qadda, 4th, 1309, Hijra. Excerpts of the replies received from sincere friends who were requested to render assistance in the publication of the booklet Nishan Asmani. An excerpt from the letter received from my brother Molvi Sayyid Dafadul Hussein Tahasildar Aligar District Faruqabad. May Allah the Exalted preserve him. I have been greatly honored by two letters from your holiness. I am extremely ashamed that I have not written to you for quite a long time. But I always remember your holiness. Your sacred name is always on my tongue, and I often read your books and consider these to be the means of improving my life in both the worlds. Kindly send me 50 copies of the booklet Nishan-e-Asmani, or as many as you would like to send me. I shall buy them and distribute them among my friends. The publication of Your Holiness's book always gives me the greatest pleasure. Every member of my family is hale and hearty and remembers Your Holiness. Humble Submission by Tafadul Hussain, Aligar, District Farooqabad, May 31st, 1892 the above mentioned Molvi Sahib subscribes to the community fund and has already given a substantial sum out of his salary. An excerpt from the letter from my brother Nawab Muhammad Ali Khan, Chief of Mal al Kotla, may Allah the Exalted preserve him. I have received your holiness's kind letter. For the present I will purchase two hundred copies of the booklet Nishani Asmani, Muhammad Ali Khan. Just a short time ago, Nawab Sahib bought my books worth 500 rupees and distributed them free of charge, just for the sake of Allah. An excerpt of the letter from my brother Hakim Fazaldin by Rawi. May Allah the Exalted preserve him. 700 copies of the booklet Nishana Asmani may please be printed on behalf of this worthless one. And the money earned may be spent as you desire. At present I am sending 20 rupees along with 2 rupees the remainder of his contribution from Muhammad Sahib Arab. After this I will immediately send 100 rupees or more, or I may bring it along myself sooner, otherwise I shall send it by money order. 100 rupees have been received. Prior to this, Hakim Sahib has helped me with 700 rupees. An excerpt of the letter from my revered brother, Mulbi Hakim Nuruddin Sahib, physician, Jammu state, may Allah the Exalted preserve him. We praise Allah and invoke his blessings upon his noble prophet. With due regards, this most humble and unworthy one wishes to submit before your holiness, the Messiah of the age, that whatever this humble and sincere servant and devout disciple possesses is all at your disposal. My family, my wealth, my honour and my life. My good fortune lies in bearing the entire cost of printing and publishing the booklet or as much as your holiness would like me to contribute. My brother Fasih is with me at the moment and says that if you would have the book printed at his press, the Punjab Press, Sialkot, it will cut down the cost by 25%. Mulvi Hakim Nuruddin is unique in his sincerity, love and spirit of sacrifice, in his courage and generosity, in spending for the sake of Allah and his support for Islam. I know many a rich person who spends a tiny portion of his abundant wealth in the way of Allah. But to give all of one's precious wealth to win the pleasure of Allah and suffer hunger and thirst and completely deprive oneself of all its material benefits is a virtue that I have witnessed to perfection in Maulvi Sahib alone. Those of his companions whose hearts are deeply affected by him are also endowed with this virtue. Mulvi Sahib has so far given me 3,000 rupees for the sake of Allah. In fact, the financial assistance that I have received from him is unparalleled. It is true that this kind of sacrifice is contrary to the ways of the world and the principles of economics. But how worthy is such a person in the eyes of Allah the Exalted, who believes in the existence of the Almighty Allah and believes that Islam is a true faith and was sent by him. He has also recognized and accepted the spiritual Imam of the time and has annihilated himself in the love of Almighty Allah and his Messenger wasallam) and the Holy Qur'an. And besides all this, he spends lawfully and honestly earned wealth in the path of Allah. Obviously, he is held in high esteem by Allah the Almighty because he says, لَن Lul الْبِرَّ حَتَّىٰ مِمَّا Footnote Never shall you attain to righteousness unless you spend out that which you love. Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 93 End footnote Only those love God truly, who spend all they possess in His path. Day or night, they have only one concern, to please their beloved at all cost. Even after offering their life and wealth to Him again and again, they still fear that they are worthless. Only those whose heart is set on that Holy One depart from this world in a state of piety. May God increase the number of men of such caliber and fortitude in this Ummah. Amin. Footnote How wonderful it would be if everyone in the Muslim Ummah were Nur din Indeed it would have been so if every heart were imbued with Nur al the light of faith and certainty. End footnote. An important appeal For the men of valour who are affluent and can render assistance for the requirements of faith. Footnote O ye valiant men, strive hard and show zeal for the truth. End footnote. All our sincere friends are already engaged in serving the divine cause and I cannot thank them enough for it. I pray that God the Merciful may grant them the greatest recompense for all their services in this world as well as the next. Now a new situation has developed which requires their special attention. In the past we had to face only external enemies and were concerned only about external opposition. But now even those who claim to be Muslims and are considered to be Malvis and Faqih have become our bitter enemies. They forbid and debar the people from purchasing or even reading our books. Therefore, we are faced with difficulties that seem to be insurmountable. But they will soon disappear if Al Jamad does not become negligent. It has now become incumbent upon us to wholeheartedly try to correct internal, footnote, within the Muslims, end footnote, as well as external corruptions, and dedicate our life to this cause and we should show such sincerity and constancy of resolve in this that God Almighty, who knows all secrets and whatever lies hidden in the hearts, might be pleased with us. I have therefore resolved that having once taken up the pen, I shall not put it down, till God Almighty has disarmed the internal as well as the external opponents by conclusive arguments, and has through this weapon of messianic essence exposed the reality of the Antichrist's falsehood and demolished it. But no resolve can be fulfilled without the facilitation, blessing, help and mercy from Allah. Considering the divine tidings which are pouring upon me like rain, I am hopeful that he will not abandon this slave of his, or desert his own faith in the perilous desultory condition in which it finds itself today. However, to avail of the visible means which is the tradition of the Prophets, I have to say, Man ansari ila Footnote who are my helpers in the cause of Allah? Al-Saf, chapter 61, verse 15. End footnote. So my brethren, as I have already mentioned, it is my firm resolve to continue to write books, and I desire that after the publication of this booklet, Nishane Asmani, another booklet, Daf'ul Wasavis, be printed and published and immediately following this, Hayatun Nabi sallallahu alaihi wa sallam wa Masi which shall be sent to Europe and America. After these, the fifth part of Braheena Ahmadiyya, which also bears the title of Darurat-e-Quran, should be published as a separate book. In order to keep this process going, the best arrangement, in my opinion, would be that all my affluent friends should give me their wholehearted support. They should, according to their ability, purchase one or more copies of every book I publish while those booklets which are being priced at three or four annas each can be bought by them in adequate numbers according to their means. The amount thus received can be spent on the publication of the next book. The people of my jamaat who owe zakat on jewellery, cash or property etc. should realise that none is more poor, helpless and needy in these days than Islam. Everyone knows what warning the Sharia gives to those who do not pay the zakat and the punishment for not doing so. And it is likely that the one who does not believe in zakat may revert to disbelief. It is therefore imperative to help Islam by spending the zakat on purchasing these books and distributing free of cost. Besides these, there are other books of mine that are also very helpful. For example, Ahkam. quran Arba'in fi alamatul Mukarrabin, Siraj Munir, and the commentary on the noble book. Footnote, the Holy Quran. End footnote. Since the publication of Ibrahim Ahmadiyya is one of the paramount importance, preference shall be given to it. Other books will be published as time permits along with it. But every matter rests with God, glory be to Him. Yaf'alu ma yasha Footnote, He does as he pleases. Chapter 3, verse 41. End footnote. Wahua ala kulli shayin qadir. Footnote. And he has the power over everything. Chapter 5, verse 121. End footnote. Humble Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, District Gurdaspur, May 28, 1892. An important announcement. It is my intention to make such arrangements for the propagation of the faith of Islam that public speakers and preachers should be sent to all parts of India to invite the people to the truth in order to adequately convey the message of Islam to the world. But in our present state of weakness and limited numbers, this plan cannot be fully implemented. At present, it is proposed that if Hazrat Maulvi Muhammad Ahsan Sahib of Amroha, who is a great scholar, faithful, trustworthy, pious and most sincerely devoted to Islam should agree then as far as it is possible for him this duty can be assigned to him Mulvi Sahib is greatly skilled in teaching children and lecturing on the Holy Quran and Hadith as well as in delivering sermons and homilies and in discussions and dialectics it will be a happy thing indeed if he could take up this task as a man with a family cannot do without means of subsistence, my foremost concerns is to make the best arrangement to provide adequately for Maulvi Sahib. I therefore suggest that every affluent member of our community should fix a special sum of money according to his means to contribute towards his subsistence and continue to do so as long as it is the will of Allah the Exalted. This world is a temporary abode and preparation should be made for the hereafter with good deeds. Blessed is the person who is ever engaged in providing for the hereafter. Anyone who, in response to this announcement, is ready to contribute towards this noble cause should inform me accordingly. Peace be on him who follows the right path. Announcer Ghulam Ahmed, Qadian, District Gurdaspur, May 26, 1892